0: Hey everybody, on today's episode, you're gonna learn how to get your bank loans approved from one of the top bankers here in Chicago. Listen, everybody, we all know that real estate is the most proven way to build wealth, but why isn't everyone wealthy from real estate then? It's hard to know where to start, and most of the education out there is just complete trash, and you end up investing your money on a series of courses instead of in real estate. That's not how this podcast works. We give you the blueprint to successful real estate investing and bring on guests actually willing to share their secrets. I started my real estate investing journey as a freshman in college when I bought my first duplex and have been in the trenches doing deals ever since. And today, I now own hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. On this podcast you will learn what you actually need to know to be a successful active or passive real estate investor. And we'll offer our takes on what's happening today so you can navigate this market and build wealth. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Brenneman Blueprint. So welcome to the Brenneman Blueprint Podcast. Today with me is Ray Berzik, commercial real estate lender here in Chicago with Marquette Bank. He's been a top banker here in Chicago for 19, going on 20 years. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. Great. Well, yeah, so for today's episode, really what I want to get into is kind of how to pitch yourself, how to pitch your deal, how to show those things in the best light. Uh, You know, I think it's a little different getting a commercial loan or quite a bit different than let's say buying a house or getting a student loan or whatever most people would have done before at a bank. So I wanted to hear it straight from, you know, I've got my sort of, thoughts on how to do it, but want to hear it straight from, you know, someone who's actually approving the, the loans and someone who's actually right. in those, you know, uh, committee meetings. So I think maybe let's just to start the stage, what kind of loans do you normally make? What do you, what do you do typically?
1: Sure. So historically I've been focused more on commercial real estate deals in the neighborhoods, meaning Chicago neighborhoods, some surrounding suburbs, and, and that boils down to multifamily, both renovation, ground up construction, refinance and acquisition as well as spec development. So we do a lot of single-family luxury spec development along with condos. And those deals can range from, you know, two condo units to about eight. And with the apartments, uh, we can do a ground-up development up to about 60 units. That kind of fits our range. So typically our loan size is going to be about 750000 to about $15 million. It's wide, but our sweet spot is really that $1 to
0: $5 million. Yeah, so that kind of size, it's going to be a lot of individuals as the borrowers. Like these like giant companies aren't doing like $15 million deals. They're, you know, doing $100 million ones. Correct. Your clients are basically all individuals or people with like a small real estate company. Absolutely.
1: One to three partners for each LLC. Correct. Nice.
0: Okay. So then someone brings you a deal. Um, I guess what's maybe is there something you look at first or what's important? Where do you want to start?
1: So the two questions are always What are we lending on and who are we lending to? And typically I I do put more weight on the asset itself because that's how the banks can get paid back. That's our primary source of repayment. What is the property? If it's an apartment building, what are the rents? Where can rents go? What do we think about the expenses and how well does it cover our projected debt? As far as spec development, where is it? What are you planning on building? How's the market there? And how will this, this project fare once it's complete? If you're a new investor coming in, I think the difference between commercial and residential is a lot of times we get calls and it's like, hey, I need a pre-approval letter right away. And the response is, well, on the commercial side, unlike a residential mortgage, we just can't pre-approve you on the spot. So what we can do for you, though, is write a letter that we're looking at this, we feel confident in the transaction, and that usually appeases a seller and their broker. So the first step is just set the expectation that this probably will not be approved right on the spot there's going to be some due diligence but we want to work through the process with you and the first thing we do look at is what is the due diligence you have done on this especially if you're new Uh, you have rent projections you have expense projections and how did you come up with those and are they realistic based on where the market is today can't tell you how many times i've seen proformas come in and the expenses just seem too low or the rents seem high And so what backup can you you produce to say, hey, we can hit these rents, here are the comps. And as far as expenses, well, we're working with a pretty good property manager and they feel that we can hit this expense ratio going forward. And I know we'll probably touch up on it a little bit later, but taxes is is really the big thing. And, And that's the one thing I always wanna cover with new borrowers up front. that if you send me a pro forma, and there's one example received about a year ago it was early in 22, and the projected taxes are based on the 2020 taxes payable in 21. And so I did was just a quick search of the assessor's website, and I noticed that the assessed value went up by 40%. And I went back and I said, look, you know, we don't know where that tax rate's gonna be, but this assessed value went up 40%. So that $18,000 tax bill could easily be somewhere in the upper 20s next year, and the cash flow coverage is not gonna be there. And I don't know if you can get by with 25% down anymore. So I think that's just one big thing we have to look at. There's still going to be uncertainty in taxes, but hammer down on that assessed value. See where it's at. Luckily, the bills finally did come out. There's another one coming up in in a couple months. Um, But you really want to get your handle on projected rents and expenses.
0: Yeah, and really, like a lot of this stuff, then, you're you're doing what I would think a the borrower should do, you cool. know, if you're buying a property, let's say, so yeah, cook County where Chicago is, you can, the way the tax bills work is you're paying the bill for actually the prior year when you pay it. So you can look up, um, the assessed value, let's say that will affect your next bill. That's mo- usually already out and you can right. go look it up and then, yeah, what we do if we're buying, we would like, we'll always look that up. Then we'll use the most recent rates because sure if if the tax if the assess values are going up that's fine but there's no guarantee rates are going to drop so we would just use um, the current assess value times the tax rates and maybe right. sometimes plus an increase you know a sure. three five percent increase as well um, and then still if it's too low then we might gross it up higher to get exactly. to what we would pay right maybe not for applying for our loan we don't need to um, we would send you what we think it would be you know right. not like so we know that the when the next bill comes out, like that's what the cash flow coverage would be. Correct. But we would, maybe to value it on our end, we'll even go to a higher amount. Because I think a lot of people in these neighborhoods, they're using, depending like 16.5% of effective gross, like plus or minus, some higher, some more, or sorry, some less. Mm -hmm.
1: And we're seeing Um, that on the smaller deals. Uh, Even mixed use properties, upward of 20 20 plus percent of EGI.
0: Yeah, I could see that, and then the, you know six units and less are getting hammered harder. Correct. Is how the assessor perceives them here. Right. So in your example, I was guessing that was like a five or six unit. Exactly. Myself, it was. It definitely you was. Can, you can get to 28000 in taxes pretty fast. <laughs> right. Pretty fast. Right. Neighborhoods here. And then what's weird is like on some of the seven or eight units I own, the taxes are like that amount as sure. well or less. Yep. Um, but yeah, so then what I'm hearing is you need to, you need to have real rent comps and real mm-hmm. expense comps. Correct. For or uh, you know, look up the expenses. So let's say for insurance, uh, you, you don't want to hear like this is just what the broker has in their booklet. Right. Like you want to know this was a a real quote. Sounds like
1: absolutely. And I think one mistake that can be made is let's say you're buying a property from a well-known developer that or investor that has two hundred units, and maybe they get a bulk discount on their insurance, and that pro forma might have actual seller expenses. Well, guess what? You know that. Three thousand dollar insurance bill could easily be four thousand for you because you're going to be working with somebody new, and you're not guaranteed to hit those same expenses that that seller is.
0: Yeah, that could be part of like a huge real estate schedule where they're getting a better deal. Correct on uh you know, on what their insurance rates are. Right. What? Uh, okay. So then you need to figure out you know what your insurance, what your tax is going to be, mm-hmm. and then um, it's interesting that you look more at the deal. So then is there a, a way somebody I guess like a best way you've seen a deal presented, let's say, like what, what would that look like to you?
1: Sure, and, and it does come down to a full financial package. And the more detail you can give us, the better off you're gonna be. Uh, typically we're gonna ask for a personal financial statement. We're gonna ask for all your tax returns, personal and corporate, uh, W-2s, pay stubs, whatever it may be. And if you do own other properties- child's
0: birth certificate. Exactly, right.
1: And if you do own other properties, <laughs> That schedule of real estate is going to be very important for us. Even if it's just one or two, or or let's say you have a hundred buildings, you know, purchase date, purchase price, estimated value, cash flow, and debt, because that's something that we're really de- definitely going to look at. Yeah, and if
0: somebody's not done a commercial loan before, I guess that's interesting to that you started there, because right, like you aren't, you know, if you apply for a loan, hmm. for let's say buying a house, yeah, they want your tax returns and a W two. know they're not assuming you own a bunch of other properties so they're not asking for this other stuff but once you have um you know a commercial lender they're assuming that this is not maybe not your first property or if it is they want to see a you know something showing that this is you know almost like a blank real estate schedule like this is all we have now but and on that you're going to have basically every important detail of the property listed out um you know with all those things you're talking about purchase price where it is right. what the rents are what's your mortgage payment sure. what's the interest rate when does it mature just every basically important detail right. then you can see how does this person look from like a global sort of situation and do they have five properties that are at you know 50 percent ltv right. or at 90 and or and then what's the cash flow situation are they these all making money in total and um i guess that would be one thing i guess how uh, when you see a real estate schedule, let's say if someone had ten properties mm-hmm. and then there's i'll just make it up let's say two that look like they're in some sort of trouble, sure, n- maybe you'll just say they're at like a higher l t v and they're losing a little bit of money like where does your head start going like at what kind of um what would be like a red flag almost on a real estate schedule so over leverage uh and
1: and a lot of leverage, I'd say, and if you are showing cash flow losses on some of your properties, well, what is the story? Maybe it's under renovation or, or it's new and it's in lease up. And that's the ideal answer that, hey, this is a property acquired. We're doing renovations. You know, Three out of five units are now occupied. We're finishing two units and we hope to get those rented at X amount. But going forward, we think that this is going to cover to 1.3 times coverage. And we can talk about that service coverage yeah. as well. <clears throat>
0: um yeah so you need to be able to explain it you don't you don't want to hear oh yeah it's just been empty for two years and we're not really getting anywhere correct or exactly or that's just you know the value dropped after i refied right that's not um but i would assume if somebody has uh you know it doesn't need to be perfect you know i Mm -hmm. would say i think from what i've saw like if you have uh you know a dozen deals and let's say you know one's cash flow negative but you could explain like yeah we lost our retail tenant, mm-hmm. we're going to fill it back up and then right. we'll be fine. And we have reserves or a dealer to our, uh, let's say the value dropped after a refi or something like sure. that. I think banks can work around. They just, they just don't want to see the whole schedule like that. Correct. And go, this looks like a
1: Absolutely. train wreck basically right. or something. So it's definitely more of a holistic approach when we yeah. look at these deals. And you know, again, the first time investor, the financials is just one component of the whole picture. And we're going to look at your team. Because we think that every deal is gonna require a team. Who's your broker? Who's gonna manage the property? Uh, are they gonna be leasing the units for you? And if there is renovation to be done here, who's gonna do the work? And a lot of times you hear, well, we're interviewing a few GCs here or there, and I'm like, okay, well, what do you think it's gonna cost? We think anywhere from 80 to 100. Well, that can make a big difference. Yeah. So it's really great to have that relationship with a contractor upfront. You know you're gonna use, um, hey, take a lot of time with that inspection. Look at everything. It's easy to walk in and say, "Hey, we can really fix up these units and get these rents up by twenty percent." But how's the roof? How's the lintels? How's the brickwork? Um, there's just a lot of things that go yeah. into it, and and we're going to ask those questions. And you know, to have that relationship with a GC that can walk the property with you and say, "Hey, this is going to take twenty grand. This is going to take thirty grand." You know, know what the, the commons are and also the mechanicals. Those yeah. are the main questions we ask. Any deferred maintenance? How's the building operating? And, and what do you plan on doing?
0: Okay, so then if somebody was newer newer to this or they're, they're mm-hmm. not sure you know how to inspect the roof, and I mean, most sure. investors wouldn't be, so then you are you either need to, you're sending this to the bank maybe after you've done your inspection or you've walked it with your contractor? Correct. That's what I'm hearing. It goes a lot farther. Yeah, because you're gonna have those same, you're gonna have those questions where, <laughs> I get it, you're paying this, but then are you gonna have 50 grand of work to do after that exactly. you're not counting on you guys? you guys are digging that far into the deal.
1: Right, right. And I think the main thing for banks, especially local community banks, we're all about a relationship. And sometimes you see investors, new investors call, and, and they're fishing for a rate. And my recommendation be, you know, it's just so much more than the interest rate on these deals. Again, it's one component, but hey, what's the process? What are the fees I'm looking at? How long is this gonna take? Can I hit this closing date? And what happens if there's a problem? How will the bank work with me if there's any type of hiccup on this property? And going forward, how many more deals can we do? I think investors like to hear that, hey, if this one works out well, come back to us. We'll do two, three, a couple more. The first one's gonna be the toughest. We're gonna ask the most questions. But after that, the process just becomes a lot smoother. And I think it's good to know that you can grow with a local bank.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely getting the first one figured out with any lender sure. is the most work because i got to dig into you. But then after that, especially if the deal's similar, it's like mm-hmm. a rinse and repeat right. kind of thing a lot easier. Yeah. So that, that that makes sense. So then just to kind of what I'm hearing, the deal is usually more important than the borrower. Like the deal needs to stand on itself. I mean, it's, these are recourse loans. So the, Correct. the guarantee is going to be important still, obviously, but Absolutely. you're looking property first.
1: I, I would say I do put a lot of weight on that. But again, these two go hand in hand, because as much as we're comfortable with the property and, and the cash flow coverage and how it's going to operate going forward, it's really that individual owner manager that's really going to make it operate that way. And so there definitely has to be a comfort level with this individual or a group of partners that they're going to go make the repairs, keep this building in tip top shape, uh, lease it up to where we think it should be a market rent, run the expenses efficiently, and, and be there and be responsive when when we call. And hey, if we want to take a look at the property, yeah, let's go, let's check it out.
0: So, yeah. So then, really, you're looking at the numbers on the deal, correct. and then that's when you're factoring in the physical condition. Mm-hmm. And then something actually, I wasn't thinking when we were getting preparing for this was or when I was, if if you can think, the borrower can execute it. Right. That I actually not didn't really wasn't thinking about. I was thinking it was just really deal or borrower which Mm -hmm. one like if from the financial standpoint is are you going to say is more important but yeah it's really you know deal can the borrower execute it and then what's the personal guarantee look like absolutely is what um and maybe how does a um to back up actually i think we might have started just assuming Mm -hmm. everybody knows this but i think um one thing that's interesting with the commercial lending is uh you know the loan is made to the llc that's going to buy the property correct or whatever entity you're going to mm-hmm. buy it with and then uh in on bank loans you yourself or some you know uh, some people have like an entity set up if you have a really crazy net worth where you can have a guarantor entity but where you're personally guaranteeing that loan as well correct. so then that's like a piece where when we're talking about the deal like why is it you know uh, maybe deal first like well we're actually making the loan to the to the deal, essentially. Correct. So just to get that uh, out of the way. And then what are you looking for then? Um, Like typically in like a a personal guarantee, is there Mm -hmm. any like liquidity or what uh, net worth, like compared to the loan amount that you guys like to see or?
1: So we always said that your liquidity should be at least 10% of a loan amount, and that's just a ballpark figure. And there's really nothing set in stone. And some banks may have a different view on that. But if we're looking at a first time investor, Hey, we're assuming you have outside income coming in, whether it's from investments or a full-time job. How does that look? How stable is it? How long have you been doing it? And what is your liquidity position? And you know, one red flag I've seen, and, and again, with the spec development, we have somebody come to us and say, hey, we want to take on a $5 million project, but I got a big investor. He does want a guarantee. And I get a PFS and it's 10,000 in liquidity. That's going to be very hard to do. Because ultimately, we do rely on that guarantor. We know they're going to be there for a hiccup. And we realize that the investor may also step in. But he's not signing.
0: Yeah, it's not guaranteed. So when you're
1: looking at a $5 million loan request and you have $10,000 on a balance sheet, that's going to be a little tricky. Yeah. So we want to make sure that you can cover the equity. And if it's not you who are the investors, and if there's a problem with this property, we know that you have the wherewithal to repair it. If a roof were to go, do you have the twenty thousand to put up and cover it? Or if it's a boiler building, well, those can be expensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so a lot of things we do look at.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And then, what about? Are you looking? Let's say they did have that. Uh, let's just say, like, you, on a five million dollar deal, mm-hmm. ideally they got at least a half million liquid. Right. But then the next thing you're, are you? How hard are you looking at? Like, well, okay, how many other loans this person has? Because what if they have like $10, $5 million loans? Like how do you look at that? Absolutely. Um,
1: and again, there's no set number, but we're going to look at the contingent liabilities and what do you guarantee? And maybe you're an experienced investor and you've taken some loans out with Fannie and Freddie and it's not recourse. And it's like, well, great. They're not personally liable for that, but we know they still have this exposure out there. But uh, I mean, the last couple of years, investors, they bought into the market. There was a saying that if you bought a property from 2012 on, you bought at the height of the market, so high demand, and banks were lending, a lot on real estate. And so we do have regulators that come in and say, "Well, you know you have lent a lot on real estate, and we think it's a great asset, but we're going to have to hammer down on those schedules real estate owned. And the more detail you can provide, the smoother the process will be. Again, estimated value, your debt, what's coming up for maturity? And let's say you locked in a three and a half percent rate a couple years ago. What happens in a year or two when you're looking at somewhere in the mid fives potentially, if rates don't drop any further?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. What are the regulators asking you guys to to do with the schedules of real estate?
1: Well, what they're doing is just saying, hey, get more detail on a global cash flow, as they call it. So when we do a personal or we do a presentation, we're going to hammer down on each of those properties, and if we can get all the tax returns and verify all the income, great. Then we know what it is. And ideally, you like to see a positive coverage. And just like on a real estate deal itself, 1.2 to 1.3 is ideal. So if you can show that globally, you cash flow to 1.3 times coverage, well, that's great for us. We like to see that.
0: Yep, and so what you're talking about is gonna be, so the if you added up the NOI on every property Mm -hmm. divided by your loan payments on every property, just principal and interest, not right. But the taxes would already and insurance would already been factored in on Correct. the NOI, mm-hmm. and then you you want to see a one point three, ideally globally, It's comparable. I think you gave a range. I forgot the first. We're one fine about. with one point two. Okay.
1: And on our individual properties, we like to be at a one point two times coverage.
0: Okay. Yep. Yeah, because then that um that that makes sense because that's more or less what you're looking for on a property level. Right. So why not want to see that in the whole across the board portfolio? Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And then I think, um, what do you, and then how far are you digging into like, okay, a loan's gonna mature soon, Mm -hmm. and then you guys making an adjustment for that, uh, or you just kinda see, okay, it's at a 1.3, we're fine. They gotta obviously refi this one property. Maybe that one will drop a little. Sure. The way I look
1: at it, I said, that's a potential opportunity for me to refinance uh, something that's on their schedule. So uh, it's just asking the right questions. Hey, we see this is coming up. What's the relationship with the bank? Are you looking to renew it? Um, Could we have the opportunity as well? And how does it cash flow if you re-amortize based at this new rate? So, you know, we're always looking at it.
0: Yeah, it makes sense, and I think we have, uh, so then I'm hearing about how to present the deal where Mm -hmm. you need to basically sort of everything already researched and sort of preempting these questions on the physical condition and the uh, operating numbers and your rehab Mm -hmm. costs. And then to present yourself, I mean, you want to have a personal financial put together that's Correct. easy to follow, a schedule of real estate that's going to answer all these questions right. already, all these little details about the property, sure. and then at the, you know, already say what the debt uh, service coverage ratio mm-hmm. is going to be for each property, and then have a total at the bottom. Like, right. this is all, like, if you want to present yourself well, right? like, that's what you want to see. Absolutely. Where if somebody has, like, just a bunch of random info on their properties, and then, like, you need to make it. Right. Let's say, or something to get this loan approved. Like that's not a good way to do things then. Absolutely.
1: Right. So, and sometimes we see where investors go to multiple banks and sometimes we see PFS is coming from somewhere else. And we always have to ask the question, well, did you not get this approved here? Oh, you denied there. Because so, their,
0: their PFS is uh, actually like on the other banks? Other banks like, form, right. Okay, that's interesting. And there's
1: times where you have mortgage brokers call you out of the blue and say, hey, can you look at this deal? I'm like, well, I already did.
0: Okay, So this yeah. one is really
1: being shopped around yeah. right now. Um, but then, you know, there's also the intangibles. What are you looking at and what is your plan? And I can tell you, my best client came to me originally, and it was a cold call said, hey, we're new to development, but we want to get into it. And we see the opportunity. And they had a side business and full-time income coming in. And I'm like, okay, what are you planning? Like, well, we want to do an eight-unit condo project. I said, okay. And here it is. Here's the numbers. And I said, okay, this this could work. And maybe there's a way we can structure it. When you think about a first-time developer, eight units is a big project especially in the city of Chicago. Yeah. That could be
0: like a $2 million deal easily. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You got you know, you're possibly potentially dealing with the neighborhood and alderman
0: and actually, sorry, it could be 4 million. Right. It could be. And
1: And, and it's not the easiest deal to start with. Yeah. So luckily that deal fell apart for whatever reason. And they started off with a single family rehab and then one more, and now they're doing a six unit condo building. So, you know, it's like, it's okay to, Start off slow, I think real estate's a long game, it's yeah. long term and um
0: you know. Okay. That so, makes sense. too right. also one thing you're you're looking at is not is this deal sort of almost in a way like too big for their experience level. Exactly. Not you weren't saying the guy didn't have enough money to take out the loan. You're right. you're saying, Wow, you're gonna build an eight unit building from scratch for your first deal. That Correct. seems like a hard, hard one to do. Right. Where then when he presented you with a single family rehab, like you right. like that.
1: Exactly. And I think if you're a new investor, sometimes you you get a building under management maybe you get another one and you're up to 20, 25 units, and then you're eyeing 50 units and you're like, oh, I want to hit 50 units. I'm like, okay, well, let's make sure it's still a good deal. And I've seen instances where they go outside of their market and they find a 25 unit building and the cash flow is just a little too tight. And I'm like, maybe we take a step back here. Let's really evaluate this. I, I know that 50 units is a milestone, but do we really need to race to get there?
0: Yeah, so. that I I can see. It seems I have a, a a buddy Gabe Horstick, who used to be a lender. Now he's mm-hmm. a, just a real estate investor on his own. Sure, and he he said and when he was on like when he was a banker, the people that got in trouble because this is you know he he started in two thousand and seven, I think. So he saw right. all the bad stuff right away was people who got outside of their lane is what he said exactly whether it was deal size or really where people were getting burned was switching product types right like you'd had a successful career for 20 years investing in apartments and then in 2007 yes you switched to condos and retail right and you're in a world of hurt um i mean because those were you know not favorable product types but also you didn't you, you weren't as much of an expert, you didn't know what to look for. Right. And now we're running into a tough economy, tough lending environment. And all the mistakes you made are like, sure. Right there. It's just different you now crushing you. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. That's uh so then in terms of like, let's say red flags or something, mm-hmm. it's really just people who haven't thought of some part of the deal, like the person who applied for the loan right. and they didn't look up the assessed value. And really in like any city we're talking about, you know, Chicago and Cook County, but. Right. I mean, I've looked at deals all over and when I was buying in Madison and in Minneapolis and everywhere, you can just look up the assessed value. Correct. And a lot of these places work where the assessed value comes up pretty early before the tax rates are calculated. Right. Um, so that's something that's like a great tip mm-hmm. where you need you should be sending that number to your lender. Otherwise, you look like a, a beginner, basically. Right. Exactly. In that example. Yep. So right. what else what else comes to mind?
1: Well, I think the, the high level, obvious ones, if any type of tax liens out there, maybe a foreclosure, uh, a BK potentially, hopefully there's a story. If we find out that you stiffed a bank in, in the past, it's going to be a big hurdle to get over. And then as you get closer to the deal level, uh, again, your, your rents are just very high, your expenses are too low. Um, and sometimes we see that, you know, as a bank, we like to incorporate a vacancy factor in all our deals.
0: What do you and so let's say it's a multifamily deal, Mm -hmm. what do you guys assume?
1: Typically, it's five percent. There's times we're in a very good market, we can get that down to three percent, but we tell the borrower, expect an appraiser to do the same thing. So ultimately, the value is going to be impacted by this because it's going to be built into that income statement and income approach.
0: What would you do? So, let's say you're trying to get a loan sized or approved. Mm -hmm. Uh, you the borrower says, I think I can, my repairs and maintenance will be, use Chicago numbers. With no one working at the property, I think it'll be eight hundred dollars a unit a year. Okay, and then you look at other deals you have and say that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But the appraiser says it's uh, twelve hundred. Right. What number would you do? You guys use?
1: Well, we say? like uh, a ballpark. We do five percent for management and five percent for repairs and maintenance. Oh, got it. And then we're going to look at the condition of the property as it is today. Hey, this is newly renovated, so we think that these repairs and maintenance are going to be lower. This is an older building, so we know it can be higher. Um, so we adjust accordingly based on, you know, just by driving by, or if we can walk through the building to see what kind of
0: condition it's in. Or do you have any other rules of thumb like that? That's that's good. It's interesting you went with the percent for R and M because right. to me, like in running these, I think it has to do more with the unit count. Where Correct. like whether it's uh, like it's more important to me. It's like it's a unit. It's got a kitchen, a bathroom, it's right. got the an air conditioner that can break, and yep. then uh, that's why I was going per unit. But those are, that's good rules yeah. of thumb, if someone's not, because a lot of times you get these broker packages, they, they're probably mm-hmm. not assuming 5% for R&M. Exactly, you know, they, right. They don't want so to put 3%. it in the best light. You know, right. their job's to sell the property, not to exactly uh, overestimate sure. maybe repairs or something. So, yeah, yeah what other rules of thumb, if any, for underwriting Some you guys centers, use?
1: Vacancy, repairs and maintenance, management, uh, expense ratio, if it's a newly renovated building, uh, ballpark. 27 to
0: 28%. Not including vacancy.
1: Correct. So then you got it. Correct. New construction, there's some appraisers that can, you'll see 25 to 26%. Older building, you're probably pushing 31, 32. Older with boilers, probably 35, 36 at that point. And a number we're looking at a few years ago, and we still do, is debt yield, which is NOI divided by your loan amount. And historically, it was always 8% or above. But now we're seeing a different situation with the way rates have gone, and cap rates have stayed relatively stable. That um, you know, push at nine percent almost now for a debt yield.
0: Yeah, interesting. To be comfortable. Yeah, and uh, you know, whatever a year and a half ago, right? You know, five might have been okay or not. You know, close to that. Exactly, because that's a lot of those like debt fund type loans you hear about. They're resizing to like a pro forma five debt yield, right. let's say. Because yeah. let's say it's it's a 4.0 cap rate market. Mm-hmm uh, this interest rate right now is at three something percent. Exactly. So we can get it to a five, then we're at like a 1.3 debt right. cover and we're fine. Right. Uh, so yeah, they liked using that too. Um, but yeah, rates were so low. Correct.
1: So you had that positive leverage situation. Now you're pushing more leverage, negative leverage territory. And, uh, I say it, it's like loan to value loan divided by the, the value. It was a lot more important a couple years ago than it is today. We still have to hit certain loan to values but a lot of times let's say we're coming off an investor's coming off a rehab project and it's done it's leased up and they come to me and this is probably more for an experienced investor and they are like you know we really want to hit 75% LTV. I said well you know a year ago you could but you know we've seen in Chicago that the cap rates have remained stable and let's just say a, a six flat in Wicker Park or Bucktown, and maybe it was five and three quarters, and maybe it's pushed up to six. Well, based on where rates are today, for this to cover at a one, two, one, three times coverage, well, your LTV is now 68%. So it's like we're more concerned about how the property's covering cash flow wise and what it's gonna look like in the future, yeah. as opposed to saying that, hey, we can get this to 75. I mean, with cap rates staying where they are and rates going up, those LTVs have, have come down just to make sure that cash flow is sufficient.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, because mm-hmm. I've I've saw that too, where if, and the thing is, what's interesting, I know it seems like, oh, this is a super conservative loan, maybe mm-hmm. 68% LTV, but it's really not, because it's like that had the same cash flow coverage as when you could have got to 80% LTV. Correct. So there's really not, there's still that same like buffer margin of safety as before. It just, right. Feels like it's, uh, let's call it safer, but I don't. It doesn't really feel like it is. It's just like you have the same coverage, uh, extra there right. as before. It's just yeah, sure. Cap rates didn't haven't changed as much as interest rates, sure. And that's why you got to put in more equity now. Absolutely.
1: And anytime you're real close to that one-two coverage, and if we have an annual covenant, we have to check. Well, what happens if taxes do go up, or like we said, water's going up, insurance is going up. So we're going to look at the rents, and and sometimes that mitigating factor is. Well, they rented a unit in the fall or the winter and maybe it's an 18 month lease or short term and come spring, you know that one bedroom renting for 19 could potentially get 2000 or 21. And there's a big unit on top that's three bedrooms and one of them rented for 3,500 and they wanted to lease one quick. So they, they leased it for let's say 2,900. Well, we think there's room there. So that's essentially what we're, no pun intended, banking on yeah. that the rents can grow and it could offset any increase in expenses as well.
0: Yeah, I'll unpack that a little bit, cause this is a big difference with like a bank loan and let's say going to uh, one of the agencies, like mm-hmm. a Freddie or a Fannie or another product types like CMBS, where you would say, you, we're talking apartments, so we'll just stick with like Fannie as an example. Mm-hmm. Depending on what program or where it is, they can lend between a 1.20 and then in some like small markets, I think they gotta be at like a 1.3. Okay, and but they're just going, what are your rents now? And then your T 12 for other income, we mm-hmm. can't use anything else. And then, uh, the expenses that w- how we underwrite it, uh, higher of like appraisal taxes, uh, the appraisers property tax estimate or sure. actual plus an increase and then on down the line. So they have their lender NOI, mm-hmm. and NOI and we need to just be at that debt cover, uh, debt service coverage ratio on your actual interest rate. There's no, like deviation this is just what it is right uh if you if you if you want more uh loan proceeds the only thing you can do is take yield maintenance where you get a little lower rate or right now the 10-year oddly is the you know the lowest interest rate option so you got to take the 10-year but there's there's no flexibility so what's nice with a bank is they have um they have some flexibility Mm -hmm. where you could basically pitch your story on the deal saying what you said. That's a perfect example in Chicago Mm -hmm. because the rental market is very seasonal. Rents are the highest between May and August and Mm -hmm. April and September, if you want to widen that out a little. So sure, if you rented a unit around Thanksgiving for 400 bucks less than normal, you could go to the lender and say, yep, we we got kind of burned a little on this unit. So we did an 18 month lease. It's Mm going to end next May. Once it ends in May, we're going to raise it to what it should have been can you give me the loan where it would be at the 125 or whatever your acceptable mm-hmm. debt coverage is based on that higher rent? I don't have it yet, but sure. we uh, here's a pro form I made, what it would look like if I got that rent, right. and you know, here's a building next door, or my other one of right. that type, I'm getting that rent. And then usually these banks can do it.
1: Absolutely, so, right.
0: Because it's not like too big of a leap, like this is an eight unit, I rented the other unit, like yeah. it for that. Can I get a loan based on matching them up in in a year? And Correct. Most banks will go for that.
1: Right, one hundred percent.
0: So that, because um, then something too that you that we didn't touch on is so mm-hmm. then like, uh, is there anything specific to construction lending that we should talk about? Where that came to mind because I sure. I'm explaining all that going and that's a lot easier than making a construction loan. So like that's how right. you guys can make the mental leap because on a construction loan there's no building there even, and we're assuming exactly. rents and stuff. So then to whatever, tweak one unit isn't too tough. Right. So,
1: Well, again, with a ground up construction on an apartment building, we're gonna look at that projected cash flow. And, And the challenge or unique situation now that we're in is, okay, you're at a floating rate, and let's say it's prime plus a half, you're looking at eight and a quarter. And if you're done in a year, two years, well, today, let's just say five year fixed rates are anywhere from five and a half to six and a half percent, depending on the bank or agency. It's a big swing from before, yeah. where prime was, was closer to the treasuries. Now you're floating at this much higher amount, so much more interest expense. And then you know, as a bank, how do we predict what that rate's going to be once it's done? Because once it's done and you have X rent as expenses, we still want to make sure that you're in a position to cash flow and cover debt, either with us if we finance it, or if you look elsewhere, and if the cash flow is not there, then we're stuck with a property that, that just doesn't work. Right. Um, so in terms of the construction itself, we're really going to hammer down on the costs and who's building it. So coming to us with a very knowledgeable, experienced general contractor in the city is going to be a plus. And we're going to vet that GC. And we're going to go and look at other projects they've done. And Chicago's a small town, so you kind of know most of the players and say, hey, if you're looking to build a 25 unit building here, well, this general contractor did this 25 unit building here. They did this 30 unit building here. They have a great reputation. And guess what? One of our other borrowers uses them as well. So we know them or we have experience with them firsthand. So costs are important because we know that costs did go up last year. They have stabilized a little bit. Uh, labor market's still a little shaky, but you know the good thing is while lumber's come down, steel's come up a little bit, but not horrible. Um, but yeah, we're really gonna hammer down on those costs. Can they build it for that amount? Or if you're using a GC that is overestimating these costs, is it too high? to where we think your projected cash was gonna be is just not gonna cover the debt on the back end and we might need a little more equity down up front.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting, it's basically the same things you are talking about, you were looking at on a existing deal, right. where it's just we gotta vet the team and all the costs and everything. Absolutely. The only thing that seems like it's a little harder to peg is um, you're looking maybe a bit harder at the refi sizing at the end right. on one of these than maybe, because exactly. the other ones are a permanent loan, we know what the rate is, the right. term will be longer, five years or whatever, where the construction loan is generally shorter than that. Correct. So. And we get
1: it. We know that developers and, and property owners have had a real tough time the last couple of years. Right. If, if you're a property owner, you have aldermen running around saying they want to do 12 month rent abatements. You have state legislators saying that, hey, we want to lift this ban on rent control. And uh, now you have to deal with the neighborhoods in terms of new construction. And that's been the biggest hurdle as of late. It's some aldermen uh obviously there is that ARO ordinance that's out there uh that it seems that the percentage keeps increasing and the yeah we're changing. in a new
0: development you have to have a certain percentage of affordable units correct so
1: and that has hindered some development and uh what they came out with was an ADU ordinance where you can actually tap into or add additional units in an existing
0: building um interview have, have you had a lot of requests for loans uh taking advantage of that or
1: we have Uh, There was actually a couple last year, Uh, one was a five unit building where they're going to add one unit and one was a four unit where they were hoping to add two units. So I know there's different rules, um, but what I can tell you is getting them approved and getting to permit can be a challenge as they call it permit purgatory. So along with the general contractor, we're really going to be looking at your architect as well, because we think they play a crucial role in dealing with the city and kind of reconciling what you're hearing from the Department of Buildings and the Department of Zoning and ultimately getting that building permit so you can start. I mean, there's been projects that we booked, originated 18-month term, and going back to red flags, one particular borrower couldn't even get a permit within an 18-month term. And we made the decision not to renew the loan because it's like, well, who are you using to do this and what's going on? This is just a very long time right. waiting for a building permit and, you know, you try to avoid that as much as you can. Hey, who's going to be doing these drawings for you? How confident are you in getting this approved? And when do you expect this permit? Yeah, so. that,
0: no, that makes sense. And one thing that, at least from your perspective on these mm-hmm. construction loans, you put in all your, your equity first. Correct. So, like, you guys are protected in that scenario where right. we're assuming you're going to put in this much money and it'll be mm-hmm. worth even more at the end. But then you need this big chunk of equity, and then that goes in first. Right. And then as you complete the project, then you're advancing the... additional loan dollars Mm -hmm. so that's how you guys stay protected on that if anyone's wondering did you guys get hurt on that deal probably you know no because the guy probably had to put like 70 percent down to start or something high like that if you're going to add two units to a four unit or whatever that was correct exactly yeah that makes sense and yeah that because those deals there's i'm sure a ton of hoops to jump through Mm -hmm. and where um yeah it's hard to know even like because it would be nice to rely on like the zoning attorney or somebody in the mix, but right. attorneys aren't going to write out any guarantees that'll help you any. I'm sure. So it's like, okay, we this attorney gets them approved, right. this saying they feel good about it, but yep. you know, they're also an attorney. So if you ask them like, what are the what are the odds? They'd be like, I'm not in the odds making game, <laughs> right? You know, like this, so they can't give you a, yeah, um, that much confidence sometimes. Right. So even
1: on single family development, and, and we do a lot of it, and you're getting building permits before you get a demo permit. Yeah. So it's like, well,
0: we have heard <laughs> what's going that. on
1: there? But uh, you know, when it comes to construction, ultimately, especially in spec, and and we do a lot of it. You're going to build a house. You're hoping to sell it to a third party, and the same situation with condos. So again, the asset, and we're going to get paid back through that sale. And it's great to have a guarantor with great liquidity and earnings, but ultimately they have to move that that unit. And so we are going to hammer down on. You know, you can say it's block by block in the city, but it can also be lot by lot. You know, are you building this beautiful single family home, but you're in between two eight unit apartment buildings? I mean, that can impact privacy, lighting, and just create a couple of issues that you know, might prevent a buyer from actually pulling the trigger on that
0: right or some sides of the street are better than others right you know, exactly' on the side right. where the train's running through your backyard that's a lot different than if it's across the street in absolutely your neighbor's backyard and so we're always looking at the lot
1: size what can you build what's the current zoning are you trying to upzone it to build a bigger building and ultimately what what's the layout here you know mm-hmm. if you can get a 30 foot wide lot in the city well you can build four bedrooms up top which is great because a lot of families love that extra bedroom and so anytime you get a you know 30 wide lot I mean it's a plus yeah so
0: Great. Yeah, yeah. That that all makes sense. I mean, I think to close it out, mm-hmm. um, I think this was great, Ray. Let's. Um, is there anything? So you've been a banker for almost twenty right. years now. Is there anything that comes to mind where that you're thinking about quite a bit differently, let's say today than when you first started out?
1: There is. I'd say you know when you first start out, you're typically going to be in a credit role, and you're going to be crunching the numbers, and and you could get that analysis paralysis and. You know, you're there vetting deals and you come up and say, Hey, I think the bank should do this or or I don't think they should do it, but you really miss out on that that human element. You don't have exposure or interaction with the actual borrower or sponsorship group. And now today when you realize how important relationships are, you know, you can you meet the individuals, you get comfortable and you take a step back and look at the big picture and say, Okay, the numbers are saying this, but I really do feel comfortable or I don't feel comfortable with this borrower. So I think, you know, really fostering those relationships, staying in front of borrowers is, is key and can definitely influence your decision going forward. And, um, another thing I do, you know, when you start out, you're, you're looking at loan 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 and you want to hit numbers and the bank gives you goals. And, you know, it's easy to say, I want to hit X million in loans this year. But if you take a step back and say, Hey, I just want to be a better banker. And what do I got to do today to do that? You really focus on the process and i think that helps with relationships with the borrowers and you're in a mindset that hey you're always learning and anytime you can talk to a borrower you can always take something away from that conversation and apply it in a new conversation with somebody else and i think that only helps so being more process driven as opposed to numbers driven has really helped
0: yeah that's no that's great advice Mm -hmm. where then you think of yourself more as an advisor right and and want to make a smooth process than just like a sales guy mindset maybe when you Went first from credit to bank. Correct, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, I mean, one thing that I took away um, where from this was how much you guys actually put on the execution piece, Mm -hmm. where because to me, I'm thinking like the, uh, you know, this is just they're looking at the deal, how we're presenting it, and then how I'm presenting, let's say myself. but then, yeah, let's say the person in the credit role, the approver mm-hmm. or someone who's working on the numbers are not approving, but working it up. They mm-hmm. don't they don't have know, like, how good is this person at executing? Right. They're just looking at they're saying they can build this eight unit for X and then sell it for Y. I don't know. X seems kind of low to right. me. But then, you know, well, that person is a great executor. Mm-hmm. They own maybe they own their own construction company even. And you feel great about
1: yeah, that right. value. Right.
0: Uh, so that's that's interesting because, yeah, I hadn't put um, much weight on that um you know kind of when i've let's say pitched a deal to a lender actually like i kind of think it's a foregone conclusion i can do it because like otherwise i wouldn't buy it if i thought like this i was over my skis like i would i don't want to work that way i'd rather like you said kind of i stepped up uh, like gradually i went from like a two unit to a three unit and then you know there were some bigger jumps but it wasn't I never went from um whatever a two unit to a hundred
1: exactly and i think when i'm presenting these deals to our loan committee that's I highlight that i said hey this developer has done 10 you know 10 buildings or or 10 houses in the last three years and here they are here's their costs here's what they sold it for here's their profit all on time in budget so the track record's here and so this is a great new relationship with the bank and hopefully we can grow on it
0: Nice, well then that's another good tip where if Mm -hmm. you are doing something like that, you should keep track of how on budget you were. Absolutely. and be ready to pitch that.
1: Right, 100%.
0: Great, well yeah, let's leave it there. I mean, thanks for being on, Ray, appreciate it. So if uh, anybody watching or listening wants to get in touch with you, how would they do that?
1: Uh, Definitely LinkedIn or Instagram. I'd say I'm a little more active on Instagram, Ray Berzick, and uh, I even highlight some of the projects that we're financing, and you can definitely contact me there.
0: Perfect, cool, and we'll have the spelling and everything in the show notes, obviously, so. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thanks Thanks, for being on. Appreciate it. Perfect. Thanks. If you learned something from today's show, leave a review and hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy your podcast. Dive deeper into real estate investing on Brenneman Capital's website, brenneman.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Accredited investors can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Brenneman Capital LLC and its subsidiaries. Views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. The speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.